Hello and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind. I'm your host Savita Nanjafa, entrepreneur, high achieving 9 to 5er turned transformational success coach, helping you create a wildly successful business. Come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips, resources, how-tos and real talk. Side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day. On the episode today we talk about OKRs which stands for objectives and key results with my lovely guest Sinem Lula. Sinem is an OKR coach and has successfully implemented OKRs in organizations from 30 to 3000 employees in tech product services or tech enabled companies like SaaS, fintech, edtech, social media and IT services. Sinem has over 20 years of entrepreneurship and management experience in fast growing structures. She ran highly successful hospitality and real estate businesses before turning to coaching. Having spent a large part of her working life in Manhattan, the proverbial New York minute sets the pace for her. Her successes and failures have taught her that focused growth is an outcome of agility, alignment, and autonomous planning in teams. She takes a hands-on approach when it comes to mentoring companies. Her OKR for each company is to succeed and self-sustain. Tune into this episode as Sinem breaks down how to set up OKRs, when to start with OKRs, and what type of OKRs you should be choosing when you get started. Hi, and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. This is such an interesting conversation for me. Welcome, Sinem. I'm looking to talking about OKRs because this is a topic. we don't talk enough about so welcome aboard thank you for having me savita i'm really excited about this because i think we could all do with spending more time on this subject so thank you for your time and with that i want to dive right into your story tell us your journey so far how and why did you choose to uh, niche down into okrs walk us through that interesting question so I think I would describe myself as what you would call a quintessential career slasher. Many interests, many different jobs in a lifetime and with interlocking potential, the common thread being lots of energy. So I originally graduated out of NISD, started my career in fashion. Um I ended up in New York and then I took the jump into entrepreneurship with hospitality. did that for over a decade and then i sold my business and i then jumped into real estate and then real estate brought me to india and it was really exciting because i ended up interacting with a lot of hyperscaling startups and one of the things that i realized is that same common denominator lots of energy but there was a need for hyper focus and i had actually just started exploring okrs at that point of time and then i said to myself you know somebody's got to be coaching companies on okrs over here and why not me um so that's where i took the leap into okr coaching and i've been doing that for over 3 years now and i think it feeds into that need for me you know where i could never hold one job for my entire life um because i get to interact with so many different companies you know one day i'm working with a fintech another day it'll be an edtech another day it'll be e-commerce another day it'll be digital media so i find like i am also learning so much on the job 
while I'm coaching them that is super fulfilling. Yeah, I get that. I can resonate with that because I get to work as a business coach with so many different companies and you just have to think so differently and you need different skill sets for each type of business. Yeah, but what I do want to ask you, right? Because in, in coaching, we do goal setting, but when it comes to business, we're talking about KPIs, we're talking about OKRs. What is essentially the difference between goal setting that we speak about in general and setting OKRs for your business? Uh, great question. So look, when we talk about goal setting, it's really broad, right? Even a New Year's resolution is goal. Uh, at the same time, it is also has a very jaded aspect to it because especially now that we're you know past April, so many companies sort of force individuals to set goals just so they can appraise them through the goal. So there's like so many different ways people think about the word goals. When you come to OKRs though, it is a very specific framework that is for the execution of the strategy of a company or a team. And the two other elements that are very important to OKRs, they're meant to be agile. Um, part of the reason most of us don't achieve our New Year's resolutions is because the framework is so long. Right? In fact, there are statistics out there that say about 84% of people drop off somewhere by the middle of January with their resolutions. So because the challenge is we're not able to sustain that motivation for such a long period of time. So a fundamental ingredient of OKRs also is that they're meant to be agile. Typically, the cycle is 90 days. So, you know, you sustain the motivation and then you get the win and then you get motivated again and then the cycle repeats itself. So that's what works in terms of OKRs. Now, if you actually break the phase down, that's the other element to it. So in organizations, what would happen previously is most organizations have inherited that Jack Welch management by objective sort of thinking where 10 men and women who are leadership will get together in a room, decide the organizational strategy, put some broad goals together, but then the, everybody else in the chain doesn't find out what they are. Your manager just sits down with you and tells you, hey, you need to attach 40 wheels to the car. And that's all you know about what you're supposed to be doing. Now in the complex work environment that we are today, and especially with millennials, who really want a sense of purpose out of their work, it doesn't work to, to do goal setting that way. So in OKRs, there is the objective, which basically is supposed to tell everyone in the organization, where is our focus and why? So it's all words. And key results are numbers or metrics that tell us, are we achieving success on those objectives? So now what you have is a multi-dimensional goal. So for those of us, who relate better to words, there is a story in the objective. And for those of us who are very number driven, they are the metrics that tell us, hey, these matter the most that we need to sort of stretch out and reach for. So most companies that attribute their success to OKRs attribute it to the fact that it makes the strategy very transparent to a multidimensional goal like this. So that's it. You explained that so well. I mean, in my corporate career of 17 years, if you had said OKRs, to us, it was the same thing, right? KPI, KRA, what's the metric? What's the measurement? What's the weightage? So I completely resonate with, I wish, I wish we had the why, the objective, the words behind it, because it was just something that had to get done and you didn't really have a connection to it. That brings me to my next question. So in a business, and we're talking to all the business entrepreneurs who are in here listening to this, at what stage in their business should one set OKRs? What's the best time? Well, there is no hard and fast rule. There is, in fact, when you read, um, you know, 
literature that's out there, they said Google adopted OKRs when they were only eight people team. Um, so, I mean, anybody could, even in, an individual could have OKRs, but if you specifically ask me in business context and given the number of companies that I've worked with, I personally believe they work best at least when you have achieved product market fit because then you have some quantifiable numbers that begin to tell you where should you begin to focus. So you have a guiding direction, which sort of starts becoming your objective and it might change. You might still pivot frequently, but you at least are data driven rather than having OKRs, but then constantly changing priorities and then everybody saying, well, why do we have these? So in my experience, that size makes the most sense. Now on the other end of the spectrum, we have another problem. Now that the enterprises that are 4,000, 40,000, 400,000 people strong, they cannot embrace OKRs one fine morning for all 400,000 people. So if you ask me in terms of the number of people that you should roll it out to, a good number is your pilot group should be somewhere around 100, 150 in a large organization. So if you're small, don't worry about the number of people. Focus more on do you have product market fit and do you have data that will tell you whether you're beginning to set good OKRs. And if you're too large, then hone in to a group as small as 150 to pilot with so that at least you begin to see success out of it before you, you know, start such a huge change management. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to do it when you have product market fit, unless of course you already think you have it. So how does a company know if OKRs are the right framework or is it that from the way I hear you explaining it, it's good for everyone to adopt it? So that's my favorite question. Um, yes, if we were living in a utopian world, it would be a great framework for every company, right? But the fact is, it's not some kind of a fairy dust that you can come and sprinkle on an organization and suddenly Cinderella becomes the princess. There are some fundamental ingredients that need to exist in a business for OKRs to work well. Uh, and the question I most likely ask people when they come to me and they say, I want to adopt OKRs, is why do you want to adopt OKRs? Now, a bad example is we are looking for a new framework for doing individual performance management. No, that's not what OKRs are for. OKRs are for the company and they're for the team. So want a new method to assess people, it's not a good reason to adopt OKRs. Or the even, even more terrible answer is when people come and say, oh, I know it worked for Google, it worked for LinkedIn, it worked for Spotify, it will definitely work for me. Don't fall into that trap of copying another organization because you read somewhere, oh my gosh, OKRs did amazing things for them. The way I, I think it works the best is if you are a hyperscaling startup and you are hiring a lot of people very quickly and there is a possibility of people getting sidetracked. So what you're looking to build is hyper-focus. It's a great reason to adopt OKRs. Another great reason that has emerged in the last two years is the fact that we are now beginning to be remote workers. Being that we have to be able to asynchronously align with each other on highest priorities, it's a great framework to use where you're not wearing people down with horrendous, boring, tedious Zoom meetings just to discuss priorities. Really helpful over there. Similarly, if you are an enterprise and you've realized that in the process of you becoming very big, what has really happened is deep silos 
have developed in the organization and you want some sort of mechanism to create alignment and bridge those gaps, then you say, yes, OKRs are a good recipe for us to attempt. Having said all of that, there has to be a culture in the organization where there people tend to be more collaborative. There is less bureaucracy. There is less politics. The leaders are more failure tolerant and there is less of blame game. There, there has to be a good culture for OKRs to thrive. OKRs cannot come and fix a bad culture. So a business has to be really honest with itself and ask hard questions before they adopt OKRs. What are we trying to solve for? This brings me to something that I may be putting you on the spot over here. When you work with businesses, what do you see among all of these things that you've said, uh, you know, like culture or people working in silos? What do you see coming up a lot of, which is like a common thread across a certain stage of business, I would say? So commonly, almost always, when I meet uh, the leadership of an organization, I get a good sense of how long OKRs will take in the organization. So I can tell you that it almost always distills down to leadership. Uh, And when I say it distills down to leadership, the number one problematic area is micromanagers. An organization that has too many micromanagers is going to really struggle with OKRs because the whole philosophy is about developing aligned autonomous teams. You're you're spending so much of energy hiring the smartest people out there. Now, when you bring them in and you want to constrain them with the tell them approach, there is no way you're going to have success. And then on top of that, you try to layer something like OKRs and I come and tell you, hey, you need to, you know, need to let people be people and do their own thing. And you only focus on, you know, the, the measurement of OKRs. It's a very uncomfortable subject for micromanagers. So that's one challenge. The second piece, which is very um, useful with OKRs is that they're meant to be aspirational, meaning you aim to land on the moon, but if you land among the stars, that's great too. But Culturally, I think, and it's more typical of all of us in Asia, um, that because of our schooling, we have been raised to believe that 100% is the desired score. So as a result, we have very poor tolerance for failure. So I may come and give all of this recipe to say, hey, stretch, stretch, stretch. And you know what? If it's less than ideal, that's okay too. But I find that there is very poor tolerance for failure among a lot of leaders. So that's the second thing that goes wrong a lot with OKRs. And that's why I said going back to leadership. Either you will find micromanagers or you will find poor tolerance for failure. And then that's when OKRs are not going to succeed. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. Stay tuned as we take a quick break and we'll see you on the other side of the show. Very interesting answer. So insightful. And it speaks a lot about, um, you know, leadership and, you know, what kind of leadership uh, culture exists inside the organization. And uh, which brings me to my next question. What are some key things to keep in mind? Let's say now I'm, you know, all of these, the setting is right. The time is right. Now I need to choose some OKRs for my business because I really want to scale. How many should one choose? How should one measure? What are some key things to keep in mind? Okay, so I'm going to separate how many questions from the key things to keep in mind, right? Let's go with the how many. So the 
again, the while the benefit of OKRs is that it allows you to build autonomous teams, meaning I am setting as, as a CEO, I am setting goals for my company with my leadership and I'm, those are our OKRs. What typically happens in traditional environments is that you then take those to the teams and then you tell them these are your OKRs, which would be a very bad practice. In ideal environments, you are going to allow each of the teams to set their OKRs on, them, on their own in alignment with the company OKRs. So sales will set their OKRs on their own. Marketing will do it, product will do it, engineering will do it. And then you also have to cross a line because the way we work in an organization is we always have dependencies on each other. As a straightforward example, sales cannot just go out and sell if performance marketing is not designed to support and you know create marketing qualified leads that open the doors for them. Similarly, product cannot work in isolation if engineering does not create bandwidth to accommodate all of the prints that product requires of them. So there's always these massive interdependencies. So an important step in OKRs also is that after you set your functional OKRs, you cross a line with the teams that you have a lot of dependency on. Now, this is a huge benefit because rather than going through the middle of the cycle and saying, hey, can you do this for me? And somebody saying, sorry, I already have my own OKRs that I'm committed to. I can't really do this for you. You're having these negotiations laterally very early on in the cycle. But that means that in the beginning of the cycle, you need to make time for that alignment process. So now common sense will tell you that the more OKRs each function ends up setting, the more time you're going to end up devoting to alignment process and setup of OKRs, and you're going to be left with very little time for execution because we're talking 90 days here. So therefore, if it is your first cycle, the best practice is limit yourself to less than three set of OKRs. In fact, when I coach, I recommend let's start with one. One OKR at the company level, one OKR at every function level, because now we're spending more time learning and executing on OKRs and very little time on setting and aligning them. When you get a little proficient, then you go to a little bit more. And if you, and of course it's need-based. Some teams will need more OKRs. Some teams will need less OKRs. But at least allow yourself to become OKR experts before you say, we want this and we want this and we want this. It's, it's not like going to a buffet at the Taj or, you know, Leela, right? Grab everything that you can and fill your plate with it. This is about ordering a la carte and saying, hey, I really, really want to have this. And I'm going to choose that as my priority. Yeah, yeah. I think you explained that so well. Uh, Hyperfocus first before you kind of go aspirational. And, you know, sometimes most of the aspirations can be, you've not set the groundwork, you've not put in like a business model is not supporting it, but you just want like, you know, unrealistic, uh, you know, achievements that may not actually happen. And then you set yourself up to failure. So I, I really like the way you explained it in such detail. The coach, <laughs> the OKR coach in you is very thorough in describing this. Uh, and then, when you're saying choosing just like one to begin with and then add on, would you say like six, seven is too much, four is good at any given time, or are you saying that it's need-based? So look, there is never a fixed number, but again, think about the fact that we're talking about a 90-day cycle. In a 40-hour work week scenario, we were talking about 500 plus hours, right? But even in the context of companies that work startups, that work longer hours, we're still talking about what, six, 700 hours in the quarter, 
there is only so many priorities that you can focus on. So if you end up with a long list of OKRs, something's got to give. And so you're going to have a mixed bundle of achievements. Rather than do that, it's so much more important to spend that energy at the beginning of the quarter asking yourself what really, really matters. And even if you start with a big draft, the exercise of slashing things out and saying, not this quarter, next quarter is very, very useful because that's really when you start hitting your stride with OKRs. Otherwise, the downside of it is you have too many, you have mixed achievements, and people look at it at the end of the quarter and they're like losing motivation. Like, eh, the OKRs really work. OKRs work. It's just you're not making them work for you. Yeah, I, I really like the fact that, you know, you're saying it's about focus and which is true. Every business, if you want to grow, like you can't take 100 things. You have to know what your focus is going to be uh, and it changes and it's so dynamic. What are your tips to execute OKRs across the company? Like, is that like a good way, a better way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is absolutely a playbook of what good OKRs look like and smart companies do adopt that. So the first is don't make frantic calls to a coach like me on 28th of March and say, we want to start OKRs on 1st of April, Sinam. How do we get started? I mean, understand that it is a huge change management, especially for the culture of the organization. All of us in our jobs are busy working. Now you want us to learn something new. Then you want us to apply it in our day-to-day -day work. And you want us to do it effectively. So if you really want that to go well, you need to start a little bit before you want to actually roll out OKRs. A lot of good companies that work with me give themselves a practice quarter. Let's just sort of get the feel of it, get our hands dirty, and then we will really jump into it from the next quarter. But even for the practice quarter, communicate a lot explain to everyone in the organization, why are we doing this? Then once you've done the explanation, set a calendar. One of the biggest challenges that people face is we already have so many meetings and so much going on. Now you have to tell people to make the time for it. So put the calendar in people's calendar, which is these days to set, these days to align, these days to measure, and then these days to reset. Do that 90-day exercise beforehand. And then the most important tip is don't move those dates. Have the strength to not cancel those meetings and stick to them because when you create that discipline of sticking to deadlines is when you will create stickiness to OKR. And last but not the least, and I think this is a problem that I face with organizations where founders are from engineering background, is don't let perfect become the enemy of good. They want to write better and better, and better, and better OKRs, and half the quarter has gone by. It's okay. Remember that it is an iterative journey. Go with what is the best that you can frame for the beginning of the first quarter, then you reflect on it, and then you improve it the next quarter. And you get so good at it by the time the third quarter rolls around that it's not an issue at all. So those would be my three big tips. Plan for it, communicate for it, set the calendar for it, and stick to the calendar, and Fourth, I said I said three, so I should have said four. Fourth, you know, don't, don't let perfect become the enemy of good. Yeah, I love it because in, in coaching, that's like the mantra we say: progress over perfection, always. But what if 
I'm already an organization. I'm a mid-sized business. I started out with KPIs. Now I want to transition to OKR. Is that, do you think, like, what's, what should I do next to transition into OKR? Work with a coach or try something on my own? Or which one should I transition? So I love that question because this is a huge myth that it is either or. It's not KPIs or OKRs. And let me use an analogy with the human body to explain that. So you go to the doctor maybe twice a year. They take your blood, they run a bunch of tests, right? They probably come back to you with 30 or 40 different metrics. They'll tell you where your cholesterol stands, where your thyroid is at, where is your vitamin levels at, where's your iron at, et cetera, et cetera. Now you look at those reports and maybe 80% of those things are fine. Your cholesterol, your bad cholesterol is bad. So what happens for the next quarter is your OKR, if you say to yourself, my objective is to get healthier than what I was the previous quarter, the only metric that becomes a KR is the bad cholesterol. So you would probably say to yourself, I want to come down from 220 to 140 in my bad cholesterol. That doesn't mean you stop measuring the other KPIs. You will still go to the doctor after six months and you will still go to the same test and you will still get those 30 or 40 test results. So the same analogy applies in business. So for instance, if you're in marketing, you have brand, you have PR, you have social media, you have strategy, you have performance management. Across all of these pillars, you're probably measuring around 100 things. You're not going to stop measuring them. And some of these you might be measuring on a daily basis. You go to your Facebook analytics, your Google analytics, your Instagram analytics on a daily basis. Versus you probably look at your HubSpot or Pardo numbers, maybe on a you know, by monthly basis, you continue measuring all of them as KPIs. They are your key performance indicators or health metrics of the marketing team. But in order to support the business goals or business OKRs, you might have picked only four or five out of them that need to significantly improve. So the language for those KRs would be increase or decrease from X to Y. So your focus is on changing those five or six over the quarter significantly, but you don't stop measuring everything else over the quarter. So the KPIs and OKRs, in summary, coexist. One is your health or heartbeat metric. The other is my area of focus that I want to significantly improve. Yeah, I mean, I think you've gone really deep into this topic and I feel like the audience has so much to take away. And even if they want to start, this is like a good introduction. Uh, session that they can go through and then they should hire you of course to come in and do the OKRs. Now I want to bring it back to you. What are some key business lessons that you have personally learned in your work X in your career so far? Wow um, many. <laughs> so many I'm sure but one or two that you can think of or you could share. So the things that I value the most and that have worked for me the most is number one, respect for time. I am huge on, and, and I think that's why OKRs work for me because of the discipline element of it. I believe very strongly that time is the only luxury that we have in the modern world. And it's applicable for both ways, right? So I have to respect yours and you have to respect mine. So that, and I do that well, and it has worked incredibly well for me. The second thing I think is because something that I learned in my hospitality business is the customer first approach. So in my, even as a coach currently, I never go out and seek business. In fact, on LinkedIn, every 
day I get an email saying, hey, we'll help you multiply your business 10x time. Do you want to work with us? Fortunately for me, I have never had to look for a business because I tend to be very customer centric. So my OKRs for OKRs always is to over deliver and under promise. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you have to think what you're saying. And so I always get referred by one customer to three new customers. And I feel like that is something worked in, that has worked incredibly well for me. So I don't look at my, my own OKRs are not about the revenue. They're not about the number of clients. They're about how strongly and how well am I hitting on customer expectation and impact. I love it. I come from a, a customer service background and we were taught that Atiti Devo Baba in business, your customer is your guest. It's, it's equivalent to your, I mean, you worship your customer basically. And with that, I want to ask you, what does a day in your life look like? <laughs> I might convert a lot of people to OKR coaching by telling what my day looks like because my day is a lot of fun. <laughs> so first of all, I, I, the best part about it is I get to work with people across different countries. Again, I, I have to thank the not so desirable pandemic for it, but you know, used to be that people used to want to do OKR coaching sessions in person. But thanks to the pandemic, people's minds opened up to the idea, hey, this is something we can do remotely. So my day could typically start with working with a client team in UK. And then I will get a wonderful break in between. So I have two kids and a dog. The kids are in school. But my favorite child, my dog, is with me. So we will take a leisurely walk. We'll come back. We'll spend some time with each other. Then I'll probably dive into reading. I have to end up reading a lot and learning a lot myself to stay you know, constantly informed. So I will do a lot of that. And then I will probably jump back into sessions with another client who's in the US because I'm in the Bay Area right now. So what happens is my evenings tend to be much busier. I end up working with Singapore, Kenya, India. Sometimes it becomes late night. So maybe that's the only negative to my work schedule. But like I said, the nice thing about it is I don't have a nine to five day. I take breaks in between. I spend time with my family. I do things that I want to do and I structure my sessions around my life rather than my work deciding my life. I like that. Nice. And I do, uh, you know, like I think most people in this space as a coach, you have to spend a lot of time learning. So I'm glad you touched upon that. And your advice before I let you go, I want to have a longer conversation, but uh, I know our time is limited on the podcast. so. Before I let you go, what's your advice to women in business? Those who are starting out, those who are midway and hanging in there. You know, there's this expression that people keep throwing around saying, oh, it's not personal, it's business. I think that's crock shit, if you ask me. <laughs> Sorry for what I said. I think that every business is personal. And I truly believe, and not, not that I'm stereotyping, but I truly believe that women have actually a much stronger opportunity of succeeding at business because they have such high EQ. Women have stronger emotional intelligence and when they personally connect with their business and they personally connect with the people that work for them, three things happen. One, they're able, they're empathetic. So they're able to build their tribe much faster, which is loyal to them, which is motivated. So women should actually lean into that rather than trying to be cold and impersonal and try to be like men and be all business-like because, you know, use what works for you well. And the second thing is because we have such high emotional intelligence and we are so self-aware, 
we're quick learners. We're able to change ourselves very quickly and learning from the bad experiences, the good experiences. And so we become much better at business faster. And so, you know, just listen to your intuition. Go with your strongest suits as a, as a woman. Lean into them and make the most of them. Let nobody tell you that business is not personal. Okay, great advice. I love it. It's just been so good to talk to you for this time. I feel like it's been really short, but we've actually spent 45 minutes on our call, but I hope we'll be able to reconnect again for part two. So thank you so very much for breaking down OKRs in a way that is, you know, understandable. Everybody can understand it's not complicated. It doesn't feel like it's something that's really, it's not a black box. So thank you for breaking it down. You made it so simple and easy to understand. And thank you so much for your time today and joining me today. My pleasure and thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode and you want more, you can go to the show notes on my website, which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success.